This is the Blood Doctor Show on a Wednesday. An exciting Wednesday, creeping into a Thursday as we enter or continue to enter the holiday season. Greetings to you and yours, whatever it is you may celebrate. What's up to everyone on Instagram rocking the red Democratic Socialist of America jacket because I am a person who believes in Democratic Socialist ideals. Not going to split hairs with leftists. Just loving progressive politics right here. And also loving basketball. And as a gambler, I had a lot going on today. And my Phoenix Suns, who I was watching from an analyzation standpoint and from a gambling standpoint, got the job done. Got me a win not only as a fan, but as a gambler. As the third leg of a parlay. We'll talk about parlays for a bit. Just because I feel like not everyone knows enough about gambling and I'm here to educate. But also, some newsy notes type stuff. But primarily, I watched two NBA games tonight completely. Got a couple of looks in a third. A lot of interesting stuff going on, and it's just exciting. As a kid, I loved basketball. I loved basketball video games. I was a Michael Jordan addict. I played basketball in, you know, YMCA leagues all year round. So my hips fell apart, unfortunately. That's life. But I truly loved basketball. And every time the NBA season starts up again, I feel that way. I'm excited. And the way today went, it's hard to feel anything less than thrilled. I I mostly, again, I watched the Wizards 76ers game and then, of course, the Mavericks Suns game. Um... You know, anyone who knows me knows how much I love the Suns. I'm not going to skip any Suns games. I'll definitely not be skipping any Suns games this season. So, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of Suns basketball on this show. That's what it is. But overall, just a great day. Diving into the topics, let's hit one thing real quick. University of Arizona has a new head football coach, Jed Fish. He was the Patriots quarterback coach this season. Typically, anyone who would know me would assume that I would endorse the University of Arizona hiring someone from the Patriots organization. And I'm not saying that I don't, but, you know, I truly don't know Jed Fish. Aside from the fact that he was the quarterback's coach in a season where the Patriots had, like, some of the worst quarterback play they've had maybe ever. It's unfair to compare. Cam Newton and Tom Brady are completely different players. Cam Newton may not be 100%. He says he is, but who knows? It's a new system. There's a lot of things. But the Patriots offense this year certainly wasn't innovative. They definitely found ways to make things happen in the running game, but does the quarterback's coach have a lot to do with that? Now, Jed Fish has not spent a lot of time in the Patriots organization. He's bounced around, had a lot of assistant jobs. 
doesn't really have much head coaching experience, save for um, some interim head coaching experience. Spent some time with the Rams, which certainly implies that he is um, at least well-informed on a good offensive team. I, of course, trashed the Rams coming into this season, but I was wrong. So, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I would assume that he nailed his interview. Um, the one good thing for Jetfish entering this job at Arizona is that there's really no expectations. This is probably the one time in Arizona football history for the last, like, literally 22 years that what is there to expect? You know, and I've told the story about the 98 Arizona team and how incredible that was for all of us as fans. And, you know, how many times we failed in terms of, you know, hiring names and recruiting this, that, and the other. And, you know, what it all boils down to is this year where Arizona literally couldn't win a game. And Kevin Sumlin, who is a person who I thought might actually do things for Arizona, despite his failures as a coach. I, you know, everyone loves to point out the UCLA game. I've pointed out multiple times, but it's like, that's one game. You know, he's been hired at multiple jobs for a reason because he's a great guy. He's got positive influence. People love him. He's a very smart football mind, but it somehow doesn't translate to the field. And Arizona consistently somehow hires guys who really, really know football, but can't coach. And maybe that's me as a fan, as a podcaster. But, you know, nobody's offering me money to coach a college football team. And that's sort of the point. We need to figure out a way to hire people who have next level ideas. Look at what Arizona State has done. And as much as it pains me to sit here and praise Arizona State. Herm Edwards in the sort of, as everyone calls it, CEO role. Where he's not necessarily designing the offense and the defense. But he's guiding what the organization does. You've got coordinators who focus on you know, the play calling. He guides the game strategy. You've got other guys who lead the recruiting. It's done well. And ASU is not necessarily a national championship team. And I am certainly not saying that you must follow that specific strategy. But my point is that ASU struggled forever to field a really good football team since 97. Funny how those years work, but They've had good teams here and there, decent teams here and there, but no truly great teams. And so they've adopted a new strategy, which has them on an upward trajectory. Arizona has never really done that. There's no new strategy. It's just like always hiring the most famous name willing to come to the University of Arizona. So if there's one thing to say about this hiring that you might not say about any of the other ones, is that this is not that. Because I'm going to be honest with you. 
have literally never heard of this guy. And that's not an insult. I don't know every single position coach on every single team of every sport. I try, but I don't know them all. And I've never heard of this guy. So, nobody could argue that this is a name hiring for Arizona. And I'm not saying that that necessarily makes it a good hire, but when everything you've done has been built on a flawed process and every hire you've made has been built on a system that doesn't work. When I can sit here and literally point to the fact that this is completely different and there's no way that it could have been based on or built on the previous system. I have to, at least for now, take that as a step in the right direction. And again, I know it's not perfect, but if all you've ever done is hired people based on their name and it has never gone anywhere acceptable, and now you've reached way outside the box for someone we've never heard of, but who impressed you with what they bring to the table in terms of experience and football knowledge. I've got to look at that in a positive light. So, I have hope, but I have no hope of next season being great. And I'm certainly hoping there is time allotted because this is the absolute fucking definition of a rebuilding program. We'll see. In terms of dipshits who don't believe in COVID, we have two people at the top of the rung. Dwayne Haskins, Washington football team backup, partying massless in a club. Doesn't give a shit. As Jenna Lane, ESPN Bucks reporter, mentioned, Alex Smith has gone through several life-threatening surgeries from dangerous infections, and his teammates don't even give a shit about him enough to wear a mask. How does that make people feel? You're a teammate of someone, and you literally don't even give a shit enough about the people around you to do something so fucking basic as wear a mask. Yeah, well, I should uh, expect that from a graduate of the Ohio fuckeyes. What are you going to say? James Harden, being a complete dick, posting martyr nonsense on Instagram about why he appeared maskless at a club, partying with his friends, and... His selfish, dipshit, douchebaggery cost not only himself a game, but his team. I'm sure it's postponed and it'll be made up later. But Harden goes to a club, doesn't wear a mask on video, like an idiot. And a game gets postponed because of contract tracing and how many other players are sick. And... You know, I'm supportive of player empowerment and all that stuff, but James Harden's being a fucking moron 
and he's being an asshole. And there's a certain point where, oh, I can do whatever I want to. You're being a fucking asshole. And this is the exact problem with James Harden. On the court, off the court, it's the exact same shit. This dude just doesn't lead by example. When things aren't going right in the playoffs, he stands there and pouts. And he pouts on the bench. And he doesn't say anything in the huddle because he's a loser. And what's he doing now? Off the court. He's violating all the rules. And when he gets mad, he's going on Instagram and he's pouting because he's a fucking loser. James Harden is an offense unto himself. James Harden is one of the greatest scorers of all time. James Harden is a revolutionary basketball player. And James Harden has a garbage personality. All of those things can be true. I don't give a shit about the strip clubs. I don't give a shit about the partying. I don't give a shit about the travel and off days. I truly don't care about any of that. None of that shit means anything to me. He's a 30, 31 year old man. He doesn't have kids. He's not, he doesn't have a wife. I've seen many people on Twitter point that out. This man doesn't know anyone, anything. He can party all he wants. That's fine. This has nothing to do with that. It's a pandemic. And no one has said that you can't go anywhere. You shouldn't. The NBA has told you that you can't go into many public places, but no one has said that you can't go anywhere. All you have to do is just wear a mask. Just take basic fucking precautions. Just take simple precautions. Just take basic steps to care about the people around you. And James Harden just won't do that. Because he ultimately just doesn't give a shit about anything and he wants to be traded. But just explain to me, explain to me how going out of your way to prove that you don't give a shit about anyone increases the likelihood that someone's going to trade for you. I know that we we put too much on athletes and we expect too much of them because we spend 24 hours a day following them. I understand all of those things and they're true. But James Harden is being an asshole. There's just no other way to describe this stuff. Dwayne Haskins is one thing. Like He's at this point a backup who who knows if he'll ever be a starter in the league. It's one thing. But James Harden is one of the top five players in the NBA who's literally in the middle of trade discussions, who knows that every single thing that he does is going to be monitored. And he just doesn't care because he has to be around strippers. And maybe he wasn't at a strip club, but he's got to be... He's He was in the strip club last week. Like, it just... The man doesn't care. He doesn't care about anyone around him. And I have trashed Kyrie... And I have trashed Paul George for being shitty leaders. And I want to say one thing. Kyrie is weird. Paul George doesn't take responsibility for his play. But neither of those guys are truly bad people. They're not. Both Kyrie Irving and Paul George are good guys. They're good people. Okay, well, Paul George has some history of relationship trouble off the court. Maybe that's a little different. How you judge those things is whatever. But these guys aren't out there flaunting rules in a pandemic or flaunting disrespecting rules in a pandemic. 
you know, Kyrie's like burning sage and doing goofy things and Paul George is saying goofy things in interviews, but these things don't even kind of compare to ignoring every single rule and saying, I don't give a shit about a pandemic. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to follow any rules. And then going on Instagram and claiming it's how people want to tear you down. I have defended James Harden a lot. I have a lot of Rockets fan friends who, you know, I went to go see uh, the Suns play the Rockets simply because I had never seen James Harden before. You know, that's a thing that I've done. I'd never seen him in person, but this guy's an asshole. I don't really know what else to say about that. And I'm just sick of hearing people want to tear me down and blah, 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 blah. Dude, sometimes you suck. You quit on your team in the playoffs. You stand around when things don't go your way. And now you literally can't follow the advice of doctors because you have to party too hard. I'm the blunt doctor. I've literally made a character out of smoking weed and drinking. And I'm doing this show from my garage because I'm not going out and partying because it's a pandemic. And James Harden, who has all the money in the world, who can do anything that he wants and quarantine everything in a perfect way, can't even not go in public and wear a mask. <laughs> it just, whatever. You know? Fuck that guy. I still think he'll be traded to the Warriors. I watched three games primarily today. Focused on Wizards and 76ers. Focused on Mavericks and Suns. And I managed to catch a little bit of Celtics Bucks, some second quarter and some fourth quarter. Saw a few minutes of uh, Pistons Timberwolves as well. And then ran screaming at how much time I've been spending lately watching and discussing Pistons and Timberwolves basketball. So we're not going to talk about that. But the Wizards and 76ers game was extremely interesting to me because I've wanted to see how, you know, everything was going to flow for the Wizards with Russell Westbrook, because that's been the question, right? How does a team that was previously based on John Wall, that suddenly morphed to being built around Bradley Beal, that now has to include Russell Westbrook, how do you blend or how do you make all those things work? And... I gotta be honest, I feel like the Wizards have figured that out a little bit. Now, it wasn't perfect today. You lose. But, there's some really key things that make sense. Now, number one, the offense is going to flow through Russell Westbrook is what it looks like. Now, this is not to say that Russell Westbrook is the first option on offense. He's not. Bradley Beal is definitely going to be, you know, the first option in terms of scoring. It's clear that in terms of Westbrook wanting to get back to, you know, the whole playing his game, where he's able to get triple doubles, which he did tonight, where he's able to control the flow of everything, it seems that they're going to be able to do that. And then when things break down a little bit or things don't flow their way, Bradley Beal comes in and, you know, isolates, scores a bucket. Bradley Beal was cooking, so I say scores a bucket because he scores way more often than not at this point. It's just what it is. 
But you can sort of see there were a lot of plays where Westbrook would set it up. Beal comes off a screen and then attacks into another pick and roll. So it's not as if Beal's not going to pass the ball or, you know, run any pick and rolls at all, but he's coming off one action and then attacking the defense. There's a lot of really creative offense. And there's a lot of things that the Wizards are going to do that will be problematic for people because as much as we've all sort of turned on Westbrook as an elite player and said he can't do this and he can't do that anymore or those sorts of things, you know, he truly can elevate a team from, you know, not much to above average. And you look at this Wizards team and you see a guy who can suddenly attack the rim and set them up for, you know, good shots. And not that John Wall couldn't do these things, but he hasn't played in a long time, two years at this point. So Westbrook sort of brings what Wall brought, but maybe with better defense and obviously, you know, a slightly better pedigree. He's older, but... You can see what the Wizards are thinking, especially given that when things break down a little bit, Beal is there to fix it. And, you know, truthfully, Westbrook has good chemistry with Bryant. Um, seems like they're going to be able to create some nice pick and roll chemistry. Um, Bryant can shoot the ball a little bit as well. So there's a decent possibility of some good pick and pop chemistry. Um, but there's going to be a whole lot of Westbrook setting it up for Beal and then Westbrook running, you know, pick and rolls or setting plays up to run things for Beal. I actually think the Wizards offense is going to be, you know, for all the times that I have given Scott Brooks shit for not having a complex offense. You know, he's doing, at least at this point, a better job of setting up secondary and tertiary actions. You know, Westbrook comes to the right wing and then hits Beal on the left wing, who comes off a screen, who then enters an immediate pick and roll. You know, these things are more complex actions than Scott Brooks has run in the past there you know we've all in the past complained about how many times scott brooks used to just run isolation and that was one of the main reasons in fact that scott brooks brooks was replaced by billy donovan in oklahoma city was you know that they felt that his offense wasn't complex enough and so at this point you can see that there's at least some really nice design for what's going on for Beal. When Beal and Westbrook are off the floor, it's problematic. So I think that we can expect a lot of staggering. Westbrook himself, in terms of just like explosiveness, he looks like Russell Westbrook. So, you know, I think that at least for now, there's not a lot to worry about in terms of his injuries and health. Um, you know, he missed a few layups, but, you know, he might, he's rusty, but, the explosion is there. And that's really, truly the most thing. Um, but when those two guys sit, I really don't know where the offense is going to come from. So I do expect 
you know, they're obviously going to start the game together. And I think you're going to see, you know, some nights Beal goes to the bench early and then Westbrook runs the offense. And then some nights Westbrook goes to the bench early and Beal runs the offense. You know, I think you'll see different things. Um, the important thing is that, you know, it lets Beal cook, right? You're not forcing him to play point guard. And it's not that he can't pass. He's a good passer. It's not that you don't want him to pass. Again, it's not that you don't want him operating pick and rolls. You do. You want all those things to occur. But Bradley Beal can score. And you don't want to take that skill away because you're trying to force him to be an elite passer. And so this just sort of takes the pressure off and lets him focus on, you know, what he's best at. But when he's alone on the floor with the bench units, he'll still get to run a lot of pick and roll. And, you know, he'll be very effective at that, especially when playing against other teams' bench units. Robin Lopez, um, you know, essentially brought in to stabilize the defense. And truthfully, I think he's done that. And I think he will continue to do that. It's not that he's some incredible defender who's a game changer and defensive player of the year. It's not that. It's just that his rotations are crisp. He knows what is expected of him. He's going to set solid screens. He'll be in the right place. And he's huge. Having a huge guy who's always in the right place can really just make the defense a lot more solid. And it's not that they're good on defense. They're not. But coming from a team that could stop no one, if you add a couple of guys who can do some work, that can make a lot of changes. And when he also bags a triple as the trailer going down to the other end, it's a nice addition. So I think that that um, is something that his could really work for them and might be something that some people kind of said could be a really good thing and other people tease them for saying that and you know, it might turn out to be right. I do wonder about the Wizards' half-courts offense. Um, there was a lot of stalling in this game. We know how good they're going to be in transition. Um, they, they're they a wrecking ball in transition as a group. But there's going to be a lot of adjustment in the half-court. And I think that there's, honestly, Scott Brooks may be hesitant to go to it just because of all the criticism. But truthfully... When things aren't working in the half court, that's going to be a really good time to let Brad Beal ISO or just run pick and roll and let him do his thing. So the one really good thing for the Wizards is that when things break down and the half court offense isn't working because they're so focused on transition, Brad Beal is there to get buckets. But there's really no one else there to, you know, ISO with him and keep that offense up. So they need to improve the half-court offense and figure out, you know, how they want to structure that. Assuming they make the playoffs, it's going to matter. Because they they are undersized as a team. And you saw that down the stretch of this game, you know, with Dwight Howard playing backup for the 76ers, and, you know, with Joel Embiid, it just, they were basically smaller for the whole game. And so it just 
is going to be an issue if they ever reach the playoffs. And it's funny how we've gone from, oh, hey, everything's about small ball, to now you've got to compete with these big guys. But that's where we're at. And I do think that's going to be a problem for the Wizards. And, you know, they're going to have to look for Thomas Bryant to step up. And they're going to have to look for Robin Lopez to maybe play outside of himself. In terms of the bench unit, you know, we know how fast Ish Smith is and what he does. He definitely runs the bench unit better than Neto. So I think that they need to, you know, make sure that he's primarily backing up. Berton's had an awesome game. They were down 13. And Berton's hit three triples in the space of, I don't know, I looked at my hand and then I looked at my other hand and I put tequila in one of them and weed in the other and he had already hit three triples before I completed those things. I literally had the phrase, Berton's is on fire in my notes. And, you know, the Wizards are just going to score quickly. And we've all made the joke about, you know, they're going to score so much, but they're going to give up two points more. Or they'll score 150 and give up 160. You know, and in truth, that's kind of what happened tonight. I mean, Westbrook had a triple-double through three quarters. But he was bricking all of his threes. And he was firing some ugly long twos. Not too many. He hit some. He started... Pretty good, cooled off, but he wasn't great shooting the ball, but still a triple-double. So it's just, you know, again, classic Westbrook. The one thing, I've hammered this before, I'm going to hammer it again. Denny Avdia looks amazing. Can shoot. He's ferocious in the passing lanes. He's not always perfect in terms of his rotations. He's young, but He steals the hell out of the ball. He's fast in the open court. He can finish. He can shoot. I don't understand how the hell this guy fell to nine. The Bulls blew it with Pat Williams. Maybe I'll be wrong, but it certainly doesn't seem like it. That was a great pick. The Westbrook trade was solid. But this game just really came down to the Wizards didn't quite have enough defense in the end. And that's it. The whole job for Brad Beal this season is going to be to cook, and he will. The job for Russell Westbrook is going to be to lead the offense, and he will. Denny Avdia is just going to have to score and swipe on defense, and he will. But can they truly, truly stop anyone? I don't know. From the 76er side? I really like the fit of Dwight Howard. I think he fits really well as a backup piece for Embiid. Um, I think that's exactly what the 76ers need in this scenario. Not a guy like Al Horford who's going to try to play with Embiid. None of that. Dwight Howard is perfect. Shake Milton looks like he's going to have the green light to shoot all the damn time, and he should in a really nice game. Tyrese Maxey. I love this dude. He's whipping passes to the corner. He's pushing the offense. He's grabbing rebounds. Not a great shooter. We knew that about him. But there's a possibility of him truly progressing 
on that level to at least an average to above average shooter and all the other things he can do and the aggressiveness with which he plays, that's going to be really valuable to the Sixers because they need someone who can guide the offense like that. He's not big. I understand those things, but the 76ers really need someone to lead the offense more than anything else. And they really have built a good supporting cast here better than they have. Tobias Harris was hyper-aggressive in this game in a way that, you know, he really wasn't last year. And it reminds us that, you know, Doc Rivers presided over probably Tobias' best season. And he really knows what he's looking for, how he wants to play. And they, you know, again, built a really good chemistry. And, you know, in this game, Tobias was putting that on display, especially in the first half. And I think that that's going to be a really good thing for the Sixers. Still not a ton of pick and roll for the Sixers. Um, obviously some, but in terms of, you know, teams that run pick and roll all the time, you know, the 76ers don't run a pick and roll often. There's motion and give and go and all these things. But they definitely are looking to, you know, shoot the ball as much as possible. And that's good. They truly do have a good shooting roster. You got Seth Curry, Mike Scott, Shake Milton, Furton, Korkmaz, Tobias Harris, <laughs> in theory, Danny Green. Um, you know, these guys are all good shooters, and Bede can shoot to an extent, but if the goal is to put shooting around Simmons and Embiid, they really have done that. And now, in addition to having put shooting around Simmons and Embiid. They've also put good ball handling around Simmons and Embiid. And, you know, now Tobias doesn't have to carry as much of that load, especially if Maxi comes on. And, you know, Seth Curry is not necessarily a primary ball handler, but still can do a lot with the ball. Danny Green, just a shooter and a defender. Struggling. Danny Green is over the yips, maybe. I hate to wish that on someone or claim that on someone, but Danny Green hasn't looked like Danny Green lately. Hopefully that's just wrong. Joel Embiid was awesome in this game. But it's hard to know what to expect of him from time. Expect from him at times. He, for a lot of this game, is is shooting over guys. And we know that he doesn't always necessarily want to power through guys. He's a shooter. You know, he likes to shoot from three. But you look at his stats and a guy that big shouldn't shoot 47%. Like, honestly, he should have a higher percentage. And you watch him play, and there's too often when he's battling a guy who's smaller than him, and he turns for a fadeaway. He needs to be more aggressive going to the rack. And I'm not saying it has to be all the time. He's got nice touch. 
you know, do your dream shake stuff, shoot threes, obviously. Being a three-level scorer is great, but there are times that he can go to the rack more. And I will say, at the end of this game, he did. And B did go to the rim and get some really nice post buckets to close this game out. And probably was the player of the game. If you look at the closing lineups, it was Westbrook, Beal, Avdia, Bertans, and Bryant against Simmons, Curry, Milton, Harrison, and Embiid. Curry and Bryant were going back and forth getting buckets. And then Embiid pretty much closed it out with a couple at the rim. And he really showed his ability. One interesting thing, Matisse Tybel, no minutes till the end of this game. Very interesting. But Embiid really did a great job closing it out, but I really think go to the rack a few more times in the first half. A guy that big, his shooting percentage should simply be higher than 47%, even with the three-point shooting. And he really didn't take a lot of threes in this game. It was a lot more restrained. It's not that Embiid shouldn't shoot threes when he's in the position to do them, but when you're that big, you really should be more automatic inside. And I think he has that ability. They showed it towards the end. They got the win. Celtics and Bucks. I didn't get to watch the whole game. Watched part of the second quarter and part of the fourth quarter, really towards the end. And there were some interesting takeaways for me. DiVincenzo was balling in this game. He shot incredibly well. I think was started four or four or five or five. Got to the rack a few times, hit three triples. He looked like a pure scorer. And, you know, that's going to be really important for the Bucks because regardless of what you feel about the Bogdan situation, tampering, negotiation, trade, whatever, simple fact of the matter is he was the primary piece that was going back in that theoretical trade. So, if that trade doesn't occur, and it didn't, he needs to essentially take his game to another level. And if you simply looked at today's game, I think you'd be able to make the argument that he did that. And if he plays like he did today, at least in the minutes that I saw, certainly think that's possible. He got to the rim a few times. But that's going to be an interesting part of the Buck season. One thing that was very good, Jeff Teague played a really nice game for Boston. He truly looked like a very impactful player. Now, he's not starting. He played some as a closer down the stretch. But some people said he was washed, couldn't impact the game anymore, couldn't play as a role player. As a guy who's out there dishing nice passes, taking some shots, grabbing a few boards here and there, he's really going to be effective for them off the bench. And I think that when you consider that they were playing with guys like Brad Watermaker, things like that, I think this is going to be a big upgrade for Boston. Drew Holiday looks like a perfect fit with the Bucks. 
Their offense looks a little bit more dynamic. It's not so much guys standing in their square while Giannis does his thing. They were doing a little bit more. Tristan Thompson looks like he's going to provide an edge to the Celtics, especially in terms of offensive rebounding and, um, you know, maybe some levels of rim protection that they haven't had. And down the stretch, just great basketball. Middleton, Giannis both had big games, hit big shots. Tatum and Brown hit big shots as well. Holiday the same, but in the end, Tatum goes off the glass to give the Celtics the lead. Giannis had an opportunity to tie it again with free throws and misses the second one. But the Celtics certainly proved they can play with the best because the Bucks were giving it to him down the stretch and there was no caving. And that might be an, another East Coast playoff series we see again. We've seen them play before and I can see it again. And now, to my game of the day, to my pure happiness as a basketball fan, the Suns-Mavericks game. No one's arguing at this point that Luka Doncic is a better player than DeAndre Aiden. Right? Luka's better. We know that. But there's one really important thing. Luka Doncic doesn't win against the Suns. And if that truly ends up being a factor in multiple playoff series, then I'm going to be psyched about that. And I'm going to say that it really matters, especially given how DeAndre defends Luka. Now, DeAndre didn't have a great game today. And... A lot of people are trying to throw things at me right now through their earbuds or their uh, stereos. But Luka Doncic performs poorly against the Suns. DeAndre Ayton continues to defend him well when they're matched up. And those things matter. And the Suns beat the Mavericks again. And the same thing I said about Beal in terms of not having to try to play point guard when he's not a point guard and play both, you know, those things. Booker doesn't have to do that anymore. All he has to do is cook. He didn't have the best game tonight. He started super hot, cooled off for a bit, but he had a couple shots down the stretch. And all he had to do was score. And that's what he did today. I'll tell you who was the biggest revelation in this game. And it's going to be no surprise to anyone who's listened to this show before. And that was Mikhail Bridges. My pick for most improved player this year. That man was balling. Like four threes. Multiple huge defensive plays. Was guarding Doncic for the majority of the game. Doncic didn't even play well. Bridges... He lived the .5 philosophy in this game. And the .5 philosophy being, you get the ball, you have half a second, pass, shoot, or drive. And he embodied that whole thing this game. He was passing when someone was closing out, attacking when the closeout was bad, 
and shooting when he was open. And it's not like you can stop Luka Doncic. We didn't. No one can stop Luka Doncic. Everyone knows that. But Mikhail Bridges made him work harder than he wanted to. He made his life just a little bit more difficult. And that's ultimately the difference in a game like this. Luca may have rolled his ankle, you know, all those things. But when you make a great player work a little bit harder than he wants to, especially in a game when the team is not hitting shots, that's how you win. And Mikhail did it all game. He was aggressive on offense. And he put up the kind of game that I expected from him when I said he was going to win most improved player. Aiton really didn't have a good game. At least in the first half. He had three offensive fouls early. Damian Jones had to come in for him. Sarich was out this game, so Damian Jones was first off the bench. Damian Jones makes a nice block. Has a couple of nice plays, and then he gets three fouls. And then Jalen Smith comes in. And then he gets a foul. There were seven fouls on the Sun centers in the first quarter. So there is some real discipline that needs to be worked on here. And there is some growing up that needs to be done. But, again, Damian Jones had the nice block. Jalen Smith came in. Missed his first free throws in the NBA. He's been kind of struggling with free throws dating back to the preseason, but he hits a nice turn fade. There's still some stuff to feel good about with with Jalen, even if he hasn't been what we hoped. Cam Johnson didn't have a great start to his rookie season either. One thing I really like today, campaign was playing aggressive all game was first guard in off the bench before Carter, so that's interesting. Hit a couple of floaters. Hit a couple of triples. He blocked a shot. The Suns started really hot and then went cold, but campaign was in there still forcing the flow of the offense even when things weren't working. At one point, Chris Paul had two fouls, no points, no assists. And campaign had six points and was still driving the offense. The team looked jittery. They were missing free throws. Everything wasn't working. But some of the backup guys really came in and made things work. And that's going to be a really good high point for the Suns this season is depth. Langston Galloway, for example. Lightning release. There was a possession where the ball got routed to him around in the corner off of like a second or third pass, and he hit a covered triple. Then he gets to the rack and scores right after. Makes a hustle play, diving for the ball. Makes a nice pass inside. Galloway really showed something in this game, like in terms of being able to be a complete player for the Suns. He did a lot. And I'm excited to see what we can see from him. And I expect there might be more minutes for Langston Galloway than we would have expected. 
Jay Crowder really couldn't buy a bucket this whole game. Wasn't shooting well. And he kept shooting. And I love that. When you're a shooter, shoot the fucking ball when you're open. I don't care if you're 0 for 12. You might go 12 of your next 12. Doesn't matter. Shoot the ball. And Jay hit an important three late, even if he wasn't necessarily overall for the game, turning things around, he hit an important shot. Shoot or shoot. Confidence matters more than shooting percentage, especially when it comes to the playoffs. And we saw that last year with Jay Crowder in the playoffs. And that's why Phoenix gave him the full mid-level exception. Now, there were holes. At one point, the Suns had 11 turnovers and 12 made baskets. It's terrible. Again, the seven fouls in the first quarter on the centers alone. Fouls and turnovers are killing the team. Open shots. Missed plenty of those. But there's no way that seven fouls and 11 turnovers don't tell the majority of the story. Book was awesome. He had triples. He had mid-range shots. He scored going to the rack. He had free throws. Went cold for a little while. But we all know how good he is down the stretch. And he did it again. Cam Johnson. In this game. Like if you didn't know Cam. He hits a triple. He throws a no-look pass inside. To Bridges for a dunk. He attacks the rim. He's played some nice defense. Cam Johnson. I I didn't like the draft pick because I didn't know anything about Cam. And over the season, I was proven wrong. I didn't like the draft pick of Jalen Smith. And it hasn't started great. But I feel like I'm going to be proven wrong. Because James Jones looks for a certain type of player. And I can at times see that Cam Johnson mold in Jalen Smith. And as Cam gets better and better, he was billed coming in. Oh, he can only shoot. Well, he's attacking the rim. He's playing good defense. He's passing the ball. Makes me feel like Jalen might do more than I think. Suns had 13 first half turnovers overall, but still an eight point lead. And the defense is working harder than I've ever seen. So when you're turning the ball over constantly, you're not making shots, you're fouling, and you're still winning. Still pretty good. Just a few other thoughts. You know, in terms of the draft and the Jalen Smith thing, I understand a little more. You know, I really wanted Tyrese Halliburton, but when you see campaign play and you see what Cameron brings... You know, even through, you know, whatever failures he had before he got back to the league. I think you understand why the Suns wanted to continue to keep him. And he had a really nice game. Down the stretch of this game, would it really mattered? Chris Paul didn't have a good game. But he threw a nice pass. He played some nice defense. He hit a mid-range jumper. It was just impressive. Booker and CP are great in the clutch. And you're paying Chris Paul $85 million to be good in the clutch. And he didn't even really have a good game. But when it mattered in the final minute, 
It was great. And then Mikhail Bridges grabs a rebound and ends it. And it was a phenomenal game for the Suns. And sure, we've beaten the Mavericks to open the season before. But this Mavericks team, they've added Josh Richardson and they're supposed to be so hyped and all these things. This Suns team is going to be good. And for all the times we failed to prove it, to go on national television and beat the Mavericks again, it's a big win. From the Mavs' perspective, Luka was ice cold to start. He went passive. And then he got hot. And for the rest of the game, he was hitting everything. You know, he hit threes. He hit mid-range. He hit it was Luka. He was just doing incredible shit all game. When Luka wasn't on the court, the Mavericks offense looked disjointed. They bricked a lot of shots, so it's hard to tell. Josh Richardson looks to be a really good fit, though. He made a couple of really nice shots. Played some good defense. Tim Hardaway hit some shots. The thing about the Mavericks is that they score quickly. Things were not going well for them at all, and the Suns built like a 10-point lead. And then the Mavericks would erase it in seconds with the barrage of triples. So you know that they're going to be able to, you know, compete at, I don't know, at the highest level, but at a top tier level. I mean, Rick Carlisle, look, he only has one title, so he doesn't get as much praise as he should. But he also was you know, the coach of an Indiana team that exceeded expectations. I mean, Rick Carlisle is a really good coach and coach of one of the greater titles in NBA history. And maybe not the most phenomenal guy in terms of player development. (laughs) But when you look at what he's done with Luka, and you look at what he's done with some of these other guys. You'd think that maybe that reputation might improve. What the Mavs did do well in this game. When things weren't working for them. They drew fouls. They played solid defense. They generated opportunities. This team kind of almost reminds me of the 2011 Mavs title team a little bit. you got Luka. Then you've got no one else who's a megastar, but you've got a lot of really good pieces. This team is good. They're going to do big things. And, you know, you can argue whatever you want about this game. But I respect the hell out of Dallas. They play hard on defense. They attack the rim. They can shoot the lights out. They can score in bunches. They're well coached. They're taking charges. It's a good team. And I think there's a good possibility that we're going to see a lot of good battles between these two teams, not only this season, but in the future going forward. But tonight, it was... Book 
it was CP, it was Bridges, it was Cam. Both Cams, Cameron Payne and Cameron Johnson. And it was the Suns with the win. The 76ers beating the Wizards as well in a nice close game. Jason Tatum bagging a step back off the glass triple for the win. The NBA is awesome. And it's an exciting time to be an NBA fan. And although we were disappointed by James Harden and his inability to follow protocols and the fact that he got a game disappointed, the fact that he got a game suspended, and we are disappointed, we are still excited for the NBA to be back. And overall, this was a great second night with a lot of fun games. Carl Anthony Towns played uh, well down the stretch for the Timberwolves and helped them beat the Pistons. The Jazz blew out Portland. There was a lot that happened. And we'll get into all that stuff as we go on. I'm going to try to watch two games a day and discuss them. So there's going to be a lot going on on the show as we go into the season. But for me, my team won. My team connected three-leg parlay. That shit's fucking cool. This has been The Blunt Doctor Show. See you tomorrow.